0: Welcome back to series regular the Hollywood reporters deep dive podcast into genre television. I'm Josh Wigler your host here on series regular and right now we're all in on one thing and one thing only game of thrones consider this your weekly window into the world of westeros as we thoroughly explore each episode of the emmy winning epic's final season and consider this window rapidly closing today we're talking about a historic episode of game of thrones the Bells, directed by the long night Helmer Miguel Sapochnik. It's the penultimate installment of the final season, and therefore the penultimate installment of the entire series. Historically, Game of Thrones has utilized any given season's penultimate episode as the space in which to drop the biggest bombshell of the year. In season one, it was Baylor, which infamously ended with a public beheading.
1: So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head.
0: In season two, it was Blackwater, in which Tyrion and other Lannister forces protected King's Landing from Stannis Baratheon's army. It was the first massive battle sequence in Game of Thrones, and in some estimation, it remains the King of the Ring.
2: Don't fight for your king, and don't fight for his kingdoms. Don't fight for honor, don't fight for glory. Don't fight for riches because he won't get any. This is your city Stannis means to sack. That's your gate he's ramming. If he gets in, it will be your houses he burns. Your gold he steals. Your women he will rape. There's our brave men knocking at our door. Let's go kill them!
0: If it's harrowing heartbreak and grueling gut punches you're after, look no further than season three's penultimate, The Reigns of Castamere, directed by David Nutter, whose praises we sang in last week's series regular. Literally, there was singing. No need to relitigate it all here. But it never hurts to hear some of that sweet red wedding music anyway.
2: Mother in the regards
0: ah! Wow, just kidding. It always hurts to hear the red wedding. Season four's Penultimate episode brought us the Watchers on the wall which was directed by Blackwater veteran Neil Marshall, his final time behind the lens for Game of Thrones. Another massive battle, this time set at Castle Black, which left us with at least one heartbreaking death.
1: Do you remember that cave? We should
2: have stayed in that cave. We'll go by there.
0: Season 5's penultimate episode wasn't quite as shocking as its third to last outing, Hardhome, in which Jon Snow battled the Night King for the first time. In hindsight, The Dance of Dragons, which was the penultimate, was actually quite a big deal if a little quiet at the time. It was the first time Daenerys Targaryen ever took to the skies on Dragonback.
1: Vlaha.
0: to translate that moment to audio only, but take my word for it. Danny is flying, and we were excited. Little did we know. Season 6 was another big battle, the Battle of the Bastards, from Once in Future Thrones director Miguel Sapochnik, in which Jon Snow was birthed out of a mosh pit, and Ramsey Bolton was eaten by dogs. Down! Down! Okay, yeah, on that one, the audio does it justice. Season 7's penultimate episode was called Beyond the Wall, in which John and a not-so-merry band of warriors go on an adventure, wait for it, Beyond the Wall, leaving us with some really great one-on-one interactions, such as this moment between the briefly late Jon Snow and the now very late Beric Dondarrion. Your wildling friend told me the Red Woman brought you back.
2: Thoros has brought me back six times. We both serve the same Lord. I serve the North. The North didn't raise you from the dead. The Lord of Light never spoke to me. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what he wants from me. He wants you alive. Why? I don't know. That's all anyone can tell me. I don't know. So what's the point in serving a god if none of us knows what he wants? I think about that all the time. I don't think it's our purpose to understand. Except one thing. We're soldiers. We have to know what we're fighting for. I'm not fighting for some man or woman I barely know can sit on a throne made of swords. So what are you fighting for? Life. Death is the enemy. The first enemy, and the last. But we all die. The enemy always wins. And we still need to fight him. That's all I know. You and I won't find much joy while we're here. But we can keep others alive. We can defend those who can't defend themselves. I'm the shield that guards the realms of men. Maybe we don't need to understand any more than that. Maybe that's enough.
0: Aye. Maybe that's enough. Sounds like an important conversation, doesn't it? Some great dialogue scenes aside, Beyond the Wall prompted some side-eye from many in the Game of Thrones fandom for the way in which its climactic battle scene with the White Walkers plays out. Outside of maybe the somewhat underwhelming dance of dragons, Beyond the Wall was more or less the universally agreed-upon low point among Game of Thrones' penultimate episodes. Until this past week. When we arrived at season eight's The Bells, an episode that earns its title from this brutal moment. Calling the bell as a divisive hour-plus of television doesn't quite do justice to the firestorm it created. Indeed, the fire is rivaled only by the handiwork of Daenerys and Drogon, who opted to incinerate King's Landing and its people even after earning a decisive victory, even after their surrender. At the very least, by every objective measure, it's a huge shift in the Game of Thrones narrative. For seasons... We thought we were watching the story of an exiled dragon queen working her way back to her homeland in order to make it a better place. And as Daenerys would likely defend the actions, that's exactly what she was doing. The people who live there, they're not your enemies. They're innocents, like the ones you liberated in Marine.
1: In Marine, the slaves turned on the masters and liberated the city themselves the moment I arrived. They're afraid.
2: Anyone who resists Cersei will see his family butchered. You can't
0: expect them to be heroes. They're hostages. They
1: are. In a tyrant's grip, whose fault is that? Mine. What does it matter whose fault it is?
2: Thousands of children will die if the city burns.
1: Your sister knows how to use her enemy's weaknesses against them. That's what she thinks our mercy is. Weakness. I beg you, my queen. she's wrong. Mercy is our strength. Our mercy towards future generations. He will never again be held hostage by a tyrant.
0: Danny can justify her actions all she wants. After burning thousands of people to the ground, children included, there's no other way to look at it. Daenerys Targaryen has become the thing she spent so many seasons fighting. There's a reason why we as an audience aren't allowed to look upon Daenerys herself once her rampage begins. She's a monster at that point. The trauma she incurred all along the way no longer mattering in the face of her actions. Actions that fall harshly upon the people of King's Landing. For many in the audience, Daenerys's turn toward the dark side was too much, too fast. Personally, I tend to err on the side of too fast, which remains my main overarching issue with the final season of Game of Thrones. Way too much to accomplish in way too tight a timeline. I could keep ringing that bell all day long... Or you can just proceed with me, knowing that that's my big problem. And I think it's a very big problem. Even if I have less of a problem with the central ideas that Game of Thrones is aiming for. The notion that we can achieve greatness if we work together. But we can also unleash untold horrors if we fail to beat ourselves. Even a hero like Daenerys Targaryen can swiftly become a villain under the right circumstances. Or the tragically wrong circumstances, as they were. For what it's worth... There are several people in the Game of Thrones fandom who would tell you that Dany's descent into terror was not without warning. There's the in-universe Targaryen history to consider, as articulated this week by the late Varys.
2: I'm worried for all of us. They say every time a Targaryen is born, the gods toss a coin and the world holds its breath.
0: The spider's warning was not the first time we heard such a description of the Targaryens. Heed these very similar words from another deceased individual, Cersei Lannister.
1: Half the Targaryens went mad, didn't they? What's the saying? Every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin.
0: Wow, by the way, I am not used to saying Varys and Cersei are deceased. But they are! Such is life. In their weekly Inside the Episode feature, bosses David Benioff and Dan Weiss stressed that they've been working very hard to highlight Daenerys' disturbing darkness from the very beginning of the show, pointing all the way back to an iconic death from the first season— Danny's brother Viserys murdered by Caldrogo.
2: Danny, please!
0: A crown for a king. Ah! Given what we know now, I think it's worth looking back on some of Daenerys's other acts of violence along the way, insofar as they inform her latest and greatest act. First, there's Miri Mazdur, the witch that Danny burned in the first season finale with very little in the way of mercy.
1: I am Daenerys Stormborn, of House Targaryen, of the blood of old Valyria. I am the dragon's daughter, and I swear to you that those who would harm you will die screaming. You will not hear me scream. I will. Which is not your screams I want. Only your life.
0: There's Zarozo and Daxos and Doria the Dothraki handmaiden, who Danny all but buried alive at the end of season two, locking them away in an empty vault with no hope for survival and a guarantee of a slow, painful death.
1: Thank you. Zara, Zoan, Doxos. Thank you for teaching me this lesson.
2: I am King of Karth. I can help you now. Truly help you. We can take the Iron Throne. I'll bring you a thousand ships. Please, chairs. please, oh, you, please.
1: You please. you within please. your reach. Oh, you,
2: please, please. Please, please. Please, please. Dear.
0: In season three, Daenerys began her conquest of Slaver's Bay by betraying the masters of Astapor. It's an incredible and powerful scene, but it's also an incredible and powerful show of force.
1: Dracarys.
0: Season 6 brought us more Dragonfire this time in the form of Kal Moro and his fellow Dothraki warlords, all burnt to a crisp after hearing some chilling final words from
1: Daenerys.
0: In case you don't speak, Dothraki, here's a rough translation of what Danny told Kal Moro before setting him on fire. Hasta la vista, baby. In Season 7, Danny gave Randall and Dickon Tarly a chance to surrender. They did not accept, so more dragon fire. She scorched them without much in the way of reservation.
1: Lord Randall Tarly, Dickon Tarly, I, Daenerys of House Targaryen, first of my name, Breaker of Chains and Mother of Dragons, sentence you to die. Dracaris.
0: Moments before executing the Tarleys, Daenerys gave another one of her many speeches, in which she tried to sell her worthiness as queen to her defeated enemies.
1: I know what Cersei has told you. That I've come to destroy your cities, burn down your homes, murder you and orphan your children. That's Cersei Lannister, not me. I'm not here to murder. And all I want to destroy is the wheel that has rolled over rich and poor to the benefit of no one but the Cersei Lannisters of the world. I offer you a choice, bend the knee and join me. Together, we will leave the world a better place than we found it or refuse and die.
0: It was a show of force even back then, but it reads with some added menace now in the context of the bells, doesn't it? Similar sensation as far as Danny's first ever encounter with Jon Snow when the two met at Dragonstone.
1: Did you see three dragons flying overhead when you arrived? I did. And did you see the Dothraki? All of whom have sworn to kill for me.
2: They're hard to miss.
1: But still, I need your help.
2: Not to defeat Cersei. You could storm King's Landing tomorrow and the city would fall. Hell, we almost took it and we didn't even have dragons. Almost. But you haven't stormed King's Landing. Why not? The only reason I can see is you don't want to kill thousands of innocent people. It's the fastest way to win the war, but you won't do it. Which means, at the very least, you're better than Cersei.
0: Yeah, about that. A few moments later... Daenerys goes on to chart her personal journey.
1: I was born at Dragonstone. Not that I can remember it. We fled before Robert's assassins could find us. Robert was your father's best friend, no? I wonder if your father knew his best friend sent assassins to murder a baby girl in her crib. Not that it matters now, of course. I spent my life in foreign lands. So many men have tried to kill me. I don't remember all their names. I have been sold like a brood mare. I've been shamed and betrayed, raped and defiled. Do you know what kept me standing through all those years in exile? Faith. Not in any gods. Not in myths and legends in myself, in Daenerys Targaryen. The world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. The Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea, any sea. They did for me. I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms, and I will.
0: As of the bells, mission accomplished, with the big burning banner and all. Daenerys's ancient history and her recent history, losing Viserion, Rhaegal, Jorah, Missandei, and large swaths of her Dothraki and Unsullied armies, not being able to convert the hearts and minds of the people of Westeros, and especially in the North, and especially the Starks, including her nephew-slash-lover-slash-actual Iron Throne heir Jon Snow, it all adds up to allow Daenerys to break bad. It doesn't make it any less painful for the people of King's Landing, or for the people invested in this story, and it doesn't make it any less jarring. At the least, with a few additional episodes to really drill down into Danny flipping that switch, maybe her Heisenbergian arc wouldn't feel quite as sudden. Like it or not, and to follow a Breaking Bad callout with a light reference to another since-retired AMC drama, Daenerys has crossed. The Rubicon. There's no coming back from her deadly actions. But there is the matter of moving forward. The Dragon Queen has won the Iron Throne with fire and blood. But is she going to keep the thing? There's only one more episode left in Game of Thrones, which is insane. And with only 80 minutes still on the clock, there's precious little time to sort through the rubble. With that said, there's also very little time left to make some predictions about who's going to wind up on the Iron Throne by the time we reach the closing credits. So, in that spirit... Let's make some predictions, and let's survey some possibilities. First, let's start with the Woman of the Hour.
1: I am Daenerys Stormborn of the blood of old Valyria, and I will take what is mine. With fire and blood, I will take it.
0: Who can possibly challenge the Dragon Queen at this point? It doesn't feel likely that she'll stay in her position of power after such a violent assault on King's Landing. George R. R. Martin has described his vision for the ending as bittersweet, And it's hard to find the sweetness in Danny's mad power continuing well into the future. Then again, before the assault on the city, Danny told Tyrion that she intended to wreak havoc in an attempt to liberate future generations. Is it possible that her violent conquest will still result in some good for the survivors, if only for their children? Is that the sweetness? Again, for me, it's hard to picture. But the current occupant has to be considered in the running to keep the Iron Throne, with so little time left. The second pick, frankly, is the likelier contender to me. He's never been a bastard.
2: He's the heir to the Iron Throne.
0: Kit Harington's heroic northerner entered King's Landing with heaviness in his heart, and likely walked away from the battle with an even heavier sense of dread. He knows he's the rightful heir to the Iron Throne, and yet he's done nothing to pursue his claim. In The Long Night, Jon's fruitless battle against an undead dragon served as an apt metaphor for his destiny as the king of the Seven Kingdoms. Like it or not, resist it or not, it's what his whole life has been barreling toward. Think back to that conversation in Beyond the Wall that he had with Beric Dondarrion. He is the shield that guards the realms of men, just maybe not in the way that he thought. John taking down Daenerys for the good of the realm feels very in character for the noble half-Stark, leaving him with a melancholy ending that more than suits this melancholy character. For the next Iron Throne contender for your consideration, let's roll another audio clip. Just kidding, there's no audio clip, because the contender does not yet exist. Game of Thrones' relationship with time has been fast and loose at best, especially recently. With only one last episode left... Perhaps Benioff and Weiss's final plans for the Iron Throne involve catapulting forward into the future, at some point following Daenerys' reign. Perhaps it's her son or daughter who sits on the Iron Throne at the very end of the series. Maybe even a child with her and Jon. The dragon has three heads and all that. A leap ahead in the Game of Thrones timeline could provide viewers with a glimpse into Dany's vision for the Seven Kingdoms' future. Did she live up to her promise and give future generations of Westeros a better life? or did her violence only result in more violence? A likely bet making the rounds right now posits that no one will be sitting on the Iron Throne. And no, not no one in the Arya Stark sense, though maybe she's a contender, and definitely more on her in a little bit. There may be someone still in charge of the Seven Kingdoms when Game of Thrones ends, but sitting on the Iron Throne... It's feeling increasingly unlikely to me. More and more, the throne has become a symbol for the worst aspects of humanity, a metallic reminder of how absolute power corrupts absolutely. The throne's disassembly in the series finale feels like a strong bet for the way in which Benioff and Weiss will end this series. Perhaps it'll leave the fate of Westeros completely up in the air. Alternately, it could result in one of the other beloved Game of Thrones characters earning the opportunity to rule the Seven Kingdoms with a blank slate. Behold, A montage of people who I would happily result in their bid for president of the United Kingdoms of Westeros.
2: I'll get right on it. What about the North? They call me giants, Bane. No, not for me, thanks. I'll see you when it's through. How do you know there is an afterwards? At least we'll die with honor. I think we might live.
1: We're probably going to die soon. I ought to know what it's like before that happens. I.
0: While we're on the subject of Arya Stark, let's talk about her journey through the bells and what it means for her arc overall. I spent several months fearing the worst for Arya, and even here on this podcast, I vocally feared for her death and predicted it. Through the penultimate episode of the series, at least, it would appear that I am wrong, and I am very happily wrong. I thought Game of Thrones would kill Arya Stark as the last agreeable gut punch. Turns out, Game of Thrones had very different plans in mind for the gut punch, and indeed, had basically the exact opposite plan in mind as it pertains to Arya. So many bad things have happened on Game of Thrones that it's easy to forget everybody's first true trauma. For Arya, it was weathering the death of the butcher's boy, Micah, murdered in season 1's second episode by Sandor Clegane. The butcher's boy. You rode him down. He ran. But not very fast. Her next trauma, losing her mentor and veritable father figure, Sirio Pharrell, almost certainly dead in battle against men of the new King Joffrey.
1: Be gone Come with me. Run. The
0: first sword of
1: Bravos does not run. Say
0: to the god of death. Not today. Go. Days later, she watched again as her actual father, Eddard Stark, lost his head in life as a reminder.
1: Sir Illin, bring me his head.
0: In the bells, years and years after those deeply disturbing deaths, and so many more along the way. Arya returns to King's Landing, with a dark goal in her heart. Revenge against Cersei, the last living avatar of all things Arya was raised to hate and destroy. And it's yet another father figure who steps in to save Arya's life, both literally and existentially. Sandor Clegane, the Hound, the man who murdered Arya's friend Micah. Of course, much like Arya... The Hound is on a vengeance quest of his own, as he prepares to fight and kill his own brother, Gregor the Mountain. Two of the most electric characters in the entire series when paired with one another, Arya and the Hound enjoy one final exchange as they enter the Red Keep, ready to settle their scores.
2: Go home, go. Fire will get her. Or one of the Dothraki. Or maybe that dragon will eat her. Doesn't matter, She's dead. And you'll be dead, too, if you don't get out of here.
1: I'm going to kill her.
2: You think you wanted revenge a long time? I've been after it all my life. It's all I care about. And look at me. Look at me! You want to be like me. You come with me.
0: You die here. From the moment she first set foot in King's Landing, Arya trained in the art of death. First, it was water dancing with Sirio. Second, it was watching her father die and learning the fragility of life firsthand. It took her out into the open road, where she learned from others, including the Hound and the Faceless Men. Around season six, speaking with The Hollywood Reporter, Macy Williams opined about Arya's numerous skills as a dealer of death, but her fairly limited skill set when it comes to life and love. This is her quote. I have to justify her decisions, and it gets hard to do. Because at a certain point, she's not thinking rationally She's gone through too much And has experienced so much pain and heartache and violence And hasn't really had a hug in a long time When was the last time she was touched by someone and cared for? That's again a quote from Macy Williams And that was in 2016 And the answer to her question came a little later that very season In the form of Lady Crane, played by Essie Davis A bravosi actress who was killed in large part Thanks to her association with Arya Even knowing the dangerous stakes of investing in the poor wounded Stark, Lady Crane took it on, gladly.
1: The company's moving on to Pentos soon. You should come with us. I
2: can't. Why not? I've got a feeling you'd be good at this sort of work. And besides, we need a new actress. I don't think I could remember all of the lines. Come with us. What's left for you here? You wouldn't be safe. Not while she's looking for me. Who? She doesn't have a name. Where will you go? Esos is east and Westeros is west. But what's west of Westeros? I don't know. Nobody does. It's where all the maps stop. The edge of the world, maybe. I'd like to see that.
0: Years later, Arya returned to Westeros. ...not yet fully appreciating the warmth she was shown by the deceased actress. And little did she know, it would be the first of many heartfelt reunions... ...that brought her back from the brink of destruction. It took some time for Arya to readjust in Season 7. And the less we dwell on the infighting with Sansa... ...and the eventual turn against Littlefinger, honestly, the better. This is the point that matters. Arya returned to Winterfell, and she returned to the love of her family... Speaking with Jon Snow as recently as the last of the Starks, she made it very clear that the only thing to her that mattered anymore was family. But even then, her scope of family was limited at best.
2: I swore myself and the North to her cause.
1: I respect that. You respect it? We needed her. We needed her army. Her dragons. You did the right thing. And we're doing the right thing telling you we don't trust your queen.
2: You don't know her yet.
1: I'll never know her. She's not one of us.
2: If you only trust the people you grow up with, you won't make many allies. That's all right.
1: I don't need many allies.
0: Oh, Arya. Yeah.
1: We're family. The four of us. The last of the Starks.
0: In that same conversation with Jon, Arya finally learns the truth about her brother. Namely, that he's not her brother, he's her cousin. The revelation at least partly fuels Arya's decision to run away from home once again and travel down to King's Landing, where she can at the very least settle her family's ancient score against the Lannisters. She runs away from the relative warmth of Winterfell, where she was truly loved and revered by many, including her old friend Gendry, with whom Arya chose to share one powerful moment of physical love. She does all this in order to run back to an old familiar hobby, murder. So leave it to one of the series' most prolific murderers, then, to impart Arya with one final lesson in the art of death. The art of living. The Hound's final words to Arya are enough to shake some sense into her, to encourage her to leave King's Landing, to abandon her quest for vengeance.
1: Sandor, Thank you.
0: If she wasn't already convinced about the corrupting power of revenge... Arya endures one final lesson on the subject when she tries to escape King's Landing, only to be pounded by dragon fire from above and other forms of death on all sides. In a series of scenes more comfortably at home in Children of Men than Gamma Thrones, a blood-soaked Arya wanders through the ash-covered streets, trying to save a woman and her child, reminders of her own mother and her own childhood self, both of whom died long ago, either in King's Landing or due to this place's brutal machinations.
1: You can't stay here. You have to keep moving. We can't go out there. You have to. Everyone out there is dead. If you stay here, you'll die.
2: Follow me. Follow me!
0: Ultimately, she can't save these individuals. Daenerys's reign of fire consumes them and nearly takes Arya out as well. The young wolf survives, but the pack of people she's trying to lead out of the city? Not as lucky. In the afterglow of the assault, Arya observes the charred remains of the people she tried to save—an even more powerful reminder of what it is to love and lose than what she herself recently loved and lost in someone like Lady Crane. In this way, it's another mother who teaches Arya about death—Daenerys, whose violent rampage is a byproduct of her own vengeful consumption. Arya Stark the woman who literally killed Death just two episodes earlier by slaying the Night King in The Long Night, mounts yet another literal embodiment of Death, a white horse, and rides away from the carnage. Where is she headed? No one knows. Though perhaps not even no one, Arya Stark herself, knows the true answer. But for the first time in the series, and perhaps for the first time in her entire life, Arya Stark finally understands what it means to live. Death isn't just a game. It's not just a thing you can plunge a knife into and conquer. The only true way to take on death and defeat it is through life, through living. Even when she returned to Winterfell, Arya wasn't fully ready to challenge those notions within herself. She still had names on her list. Now, no more. Thanks both due to their inevitable demises in King's Landing and also due to Arya's own choice to live. For the first time in years, Arya's future is wide open I think it's possible we'll never see her again. There's only one episode left in Game of Thrones. Might she come back to King's Landing to seek vengeance against Daenerys? I guess it's possible, though I think it flies in the face of all the progress she made in the Bells, a powerful culmination of Arya's story arc. Might she come back somehow to sit on the Iron Throne, to make sure someone like Cersei or Daenerys can never rule and kill again? Maybe, though even then, feels a little grand. The likelier scenario, from my point of view. Arya rides off and finds her old friend Hot Pie, learns how to make bread. Maybe she finds a flock, not unlike the Hound, and lives to protect them and enjoy some measure of peace. Maybe she sets out to see what's west of Westeros, as she once wondered aloud back in Season 6. Who knows? Here's what we do know. Arya Stark, no one of the Faceless Men, the Night King Slayer, has finally defeated death through one simple act. Living. Long may she reign, wherever she goes next. Arya Stark is alive, but several others in the series? Not so lucky. The Long Night wasn't the character culling that so many viewers expected, but the bells was a very different matter entirely. We lost a ton of major players, some in better fashion than others. Let's quickly go through them in chronological order. Pouring one out for the dearly and not-so-dearly departed one last time.
2: It was me. I hope I deserve
0: this. Truly, I do. I hope I'm wrong. Goodbye, old friend. The master of whispers, whispers no more. Varys is dead, and nobody is happy about it. Not even Conleth Hill, the actor who has played the Spider since the first season. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Hill said he was quite, quote-unquote, inconsolable upon learning about Varys' death, and got a whole lot more candid than that. He stopped short of trash-talking Tyrion, though, who's truly the worst friend imaginable. I'm so mad at Tyrion. But at least Varys' death plays fair with a few elements from the past, including this fateful conversation with Daenerys.
1: And I swear this, if you ever betray me, I'll burn you alive.
2: I would expect nothing less from the Mother of Dragons.
0: Two other major-ish deaths in this episode. Harry Strickland of the Golden Company, and Euron Greyjoy of the Iron Fleet. I know I've spent a lot of time on here saying that Euron Greyjoy is the worst, and that's because he is, and I'm thrilled that he's gone. Even though I am less than thrilled at his final words. I'm not looking for you.
2: But I got you. I got you. I am the man who killed Jim Minanester.
0: Dude, that is not your credit to take. So lame. But somehow even lamer. Harry Strickland and the entire Golden Company, who were so incredibly hyped heading into this season thanks to their reputation both in Westeros and from the perspective of the books for being some of the most talented warriors in the whole world. And yet they all get wiped out with so much as lifting a sword. Should have brought your elephants, guys. Honestly, it's just another of the ways in which Game of Thrones feels like it's
2: driving way too far.
0: A much more satisfying demise. The Cogaine Bowl. Specifically, the opening act.
2: Hello, big brother.
1: Sir Gregor, stay by my side. Sir Gregor, I command you. Obey your queen, Sir Gregor.
0: I'm going to rank the final season's deaths once the series ends. And as it stands, there is a real case to be made for Maester Kyburn in the number one spot. quick. Satisfying, symmetrical, he dies much as he was first seen back in season 3, crumpled on rubble in the ruins of a dragon-fired hall, now the Red Keep, then Hall. looking very, very dead, and this time he's actually very, very dead, thanks to the handiwork of the mountain, who is also very, very dead, thanks to the handiwork of the hound. The Clegane Bowl was real. It happened. And was it worth the hype? Your mileage may vary. Though for my money, I'm still having some trouble getting past the mountain's super weird face.
2: By God, you're right! He is faster!
0: Your mileage may also vary when it comes to some other family values. The Lannister twins, Jamie and Cersei, buried beneath the rubble of the Red Keep.
1: I want our baby to live. I want our baby to live.
2: I want to baby to live. Don't let me die, Jake. Please
1: don't let me die. Please don't let me die. I don't want to die. Just look at me. Look at me. I don't like this. this. Don't
2: like this. Look, Look me in the eye. Don't look away. Don't look. Look at me. Just look at me. Nothing else matters. (laughs) Nothing else matters. Only us.
0: Is that really it for Jamie and Cersei? Is there any chance they survived the collapse? It's a question I've seen people asking since this episode aired, and I suppose there's always a chance. And given what's already occurred in the final season, it wouldn't register as the biggest shock of the past several episodes, but I'm going to go ahead and declare them dead. I'm going to go ahead and assume they are no longer with us. Is it a satisfying end to their story? That's another matter entirely. Performance-wise, absolutely. The final season offered Cersei tragically little in the way of a storyline, and Jamie's arc has been all over the place, but Lena Headey and Nikolai coster waldau they absolutely delivered on the material they were given. I especially loved Jamie's final scene with Tyrion, which featured this incredible moment between Nikolai coster waldau and Peter Dinklage. If it weren't for
2: you, I never would have survived my childhood. You would have. You were the only one who didn't treat me like a monster. You were all I had.
0: (laughs) But in the greater sense, and again, not to ring a dead bell, I just wish we had more time to spend on Jamie and Cersei, especially this season. But I do appreciate how they were ultimately crushed by their respective vices. Jamie by his addiction to Cersei, Cersei by her relationship to power, and both of them by the extreme forces of their own family. From well before the start of the series, House Lannister fought so hard and so thoroughly to maintain power in King's Landing, it makes some sense for Jamie and Cersei to die together beneath the collapsing weight of their family's sins. Besides, in the battle against Daenerys, Cersei did not win. And as Cersei herself once said,
1: When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. Will you die? There is no middle ground.
0: Who will win the Game of Thrones, ultimately? Will the losers all die, or will there be some middle ground for some of your favorite characters? Here's the good news. You don't have to wonder for much longer. The series finale airs May 19th, and series regular will be back very quickly after that to recap it all, and then some. As always, thank you for listening to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep-dive genre TV podcast. Subscribe to the show on your various podcast platforms. Email your questions and suggestions to seriesregular at thr.com or tweet them to me, at roundhoward. Until next time, brace yourselves. Series finale, almost upon us, and I'm sure it's going to be a doozy.